This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, tonight we are going to be, um, I, I started this series that I was really trying to finish by the end of the year and it just didn't happen. So here we are tonight, we're on part six and we're going to close out our series called True Grit. Now, amen. Now, this is exciting. I'm, I'm happy about this one. Um, and to kind of catch you up, because it's been a few weeks since we've had a regular Sunday night service and whatnot, because uh, Christmas Eve was on a Sunday night and then New Year's Eve, and the week before that was the Christmas service, so it's been about three or four weeks since we've been able to have a regular Sunday night service. So, so we're going to have a good one tonight. But uh, the, the, this series, True Grit, it kind of sounds like a strange name for a, for a sermon series, but what had happened was this. I went up to Big Bear in September. You've heard this many, well, this is the sixth time now, but I'm going to tell it again for those of you that didn't hear. So I went up for a few days in the mountains to just pray and seek the Lord for some direction I needed in my life. And I, I mean, I just shut myself away. And so I get out my Bible one morning and I'm like, Lord, I need you to speak to me. And so I just open up the book of Mark and in what seemed like a very short period of time, it seemed like a few minutes, but I don't know how long it was, I read the entire book. Now, I mean, it's not the biggest of the Bible, but still, I, I read all 16 chapters, and it wasn't a, a speed reading like, you know, you know, just see if I can do this as fast as I can. God gave me so much revelation in that short amount of time that I, I can literally say without fear of, of over-exaggerating <clears throat> that God changed my life through this this teaching that he gave me. And uh, and, and I, I was really for my life, but I'm, I'm sharing it with everybody else. So there's been 10 things out of the book of Mark that God showed me. And I started seeing these characteristics, really strong characteristics of Jesus. And, and I mean, just really brute, grit, strong things about Jesus. And, and as I've said so many times, you know, Jesus is love and tender and, and compassionate and full of mercy. His mercies are new every morning. And, and I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe that Jesus is not a wimp. Jesus is super tough, especially when it comes to dealing with the devil. He's tough. You know, there's no compassion there. He's tough. And so I'm reading all these things like, man, Jesus, you said that. And, and Jesus, you told these people this and, and this, this. And I'm seeing all these things. I'm like, you were so manly. And then I was like, then I felt guilty because I'm like, I shouldn't call you manly, Lord. That's not a word that, you know, should be used for you. So but then I was like, OK, you have grit. You have true grit. And of course, that was a great John Wayne movie from the 60s. If you're back. Yeah. So I rented that on Amazon. I got cut up on that. Then I got back to the Bible and and all. The, and I mean, God just changed my life through this. And so here we are tonight. It's going to be. Uh, points nine and ten out of the true grit that the Lord showed me all out of the book of Mark, but we'll look at some other scriptures tonight too. So let's pray and then I want to get into the ninth thing right here. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for your word. That we have Bibles, Lord. We have Bibles in our language that we can read and understand. And nobody's threatening to take them away from us. We thank you. We have the written word of God. And Lord, I pray that we have just a, a... a treasure for that, Lord, that, that we understand how blessed we are to have that. And as we open these Bibles tonight, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us, you'll change us, you'll show us what we need to see, Lord, even if it's not what we want to hear, but Lord, you just show us what we need tonight so we can be changed for your glory. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said? So the first thing that we're going to talk about is this, ultimate courage. Ultimate courage. Now, we've discussed how Jesus taught people to be courageous he, he he kept telling the disciples this you know be courageous don't be afraid 
be, be courageous. And, and he kept teaching this to them. But one thing that I really love about Jesus, one of the million, zillion things I love about Jesus, is that he didn't ask us to do things that he himself wasn't willing to do. He didn't say, no, you be courageous. I'm going to be a sissy and hide over here from all my problems. No, if he said, you be, no, quit it. Don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. Then he was willing to be courageous. He was willing to be of good cheer. He was willing to face down his problems too. And you're like, well, he's Jesus. He didn't have any problems. Are you kidding me? He had bigger problems than you could even dream of, man. He faced things that you can't even imagine. He faced things that, I mean, and then he takes on all of our problems for himself too. So yeah, Jesus knows what it's like to deal with problems, okay? He didn't get a free pass. When he came into this world, he came as a human being. And human beings deal with problems every day. We wake up and, and problems start coming at us. And Jesus, he wanted to be able to, first of all, he had, we saw this morning in Hebrews chapter 2, he had to be a human being so he could actually die a physical death. We, so that's one of the reasons he came. But also, he can have sympathy. He can relate to our issues because he was one of us. He did this, man. He walked on this earth, and he faced the things that we faced. And we'll look at a a verse in a little bit that says he was tempted in all the same ways we are. If you're tempted with something, Jesus was tempted in that. It's just he didn't sin. He overcame it. Amen? And so if Jesus could overcome it, then so could we, because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of us. Right? And so, amen, God's there for us. But Jesus, he didn't just tell people to have courage. This wasn't a sermon he preached. He walked it himself. Jesus Christ was the most courageous person that this world's ever seen. The single most courageous and brave person that the world has ever seen. And I wanted to show you this in Mark chapter 14. Let's open to Mark chapter 14. Amen. And so, I, as I've said a couple times in this series, I, it's interesting that, that, uh, that Mark he points out and brings to life a lot of the really gritty, strong character traits of Jesus because Mark did not have a reputation for being a manly man. Mark was kind of a mama's boy. He was kind of a, you know, he, he had a reputation of kind of being a sissy. And uh, as you read in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas decide they're going to take, uh, excuse me, Paul and Silas decide they're going to take, no, what was Barnabas? They're, they're going to take uh, uh, Mark on a trip with them, and he quits shortly into the trip. He's like, I can't take this. And he quits and leaves them. Well, it makes Paul really mad. He's like, he's never going with me again. And then we also can see, and according to Mark's own writing, I believe it's in chapter 15 here, but uh, the night that Jesus was being betrayed in the garden, it's that Mark writes, he doesn't name himself, but most scholars believe he was talking about himself. He says, yeah, a young man saw the commotion, and he got up out of bed and just wrapped himself in his sheets and ran out there. Then the soldiers got mad at him and grabbed the sheet, and he ran off through the night naked. And that was Mark. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was Mark that he was writing about there. And so here he is. He goes out. He thinks he's going to step in and help Jesus. He gets scared and wimps out at the last minute. They send him packing naked, and he's running through town naked. Like, man, that's embarrassing. And people knew, oh, there goes Mark again. He's running back to Mama's house, and his mom lived close by. And uh, so anyway, it's just, it's interesting. And, but Mark goes on, as we see, to recover from all these wimpy mistakes, and he becomes a very strong man for the Lord. Paul brings him back, and, 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 they, and they reunite, and he eventually died a martyr's death. He was drugged through the streets of Alexandria because he wouldn't uh, renounce Jesus, and he, he died 
with the name of Jesus on his lips. That's not a wimp. That's somebody that got it together. And so, anyway, Mark was an awesome man, and uh, but it didn't start out that way. But I want to show you what he writes here about Jesus uh, in some of Jesus' final hours before the crucifixion, before being betrayed. Mark chapter 14, we're going to look here starting at verse 35, and this is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. And so you're like, well, why would Jesus do that? Why would he pray for the hour to pass him by? Would you want to go be crucified? No. And so look, look what he says, verse 36. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And so here's Jesus in this hour that he knows what's getting ready to happen. And I've said this so many times. You know, we see this. We say, yeah, Jesus was crucified. I thank you, Lord. You were crucified for my sins. And, and we just throw that word around because we don't really get it. You don't know what you don't get it. I don't get it. We don't fully comprehend. And, and I'm glad there's been some there's been some good movies made in the last few years where you kind of get an idea. But when the disciples, when the people writing the Gospels wrote Jesus, you know, he, our Lord was crucified. The people back then got it. They're like, oh, he was crucified. I get that. That's bad. That is really bad. That's, that's just the form of capital punishment. In our day and age, you know, we, they lethally inject people. And we, you understand that. You, oh, they give him a shot and he shuts him down and he dies. We, you understand that because that's what they do now. Well, back then, when somebody said crucified, they got it. They saw it. The Romans, they were pretty freaky people. They were mean. And they knew how to kill you, but they didn't just want to, they didn't want to just lethally inject you and make it as quick and humane as possible. They wanted to torture every last ounce out of you and kill you in the most excruciating way possible. And as we saw earlier today in Hebrews, it's written that Jesus ignored the shame of the cross because he was looking forward to the joy that would await him. And the cross, again, we talked about this in communion this morning, that's an embarrassing thing. Good people didn't go and die on a cross. The worst of the worst died on a cross. I mean, rapists and murderers and, and terrorists, they were, went to the cross, not good guys. And, and here's all of Jesus' disciples left to explain, yes, our Lord, he's a good man, but he, he was crucified. What? How could he be a good man if he was crucified? That doesn't make any Only bad people get crucified. How, and and th- how are we going to explain this? How do I tell you, yeah, my best friend's a really good guy. He's on death row. He's a, he's a good guy, though. He's re- really nice, really nice, cares about people. Like, then why is he on death row? Well, that doesn't make any sense. And so here they are, and they've got to explain why the best man ever, the Savior, was crucified. And people, when you said crucified they get it and so what i'm trying to say is this jesus knew he was going to be crucified and he knew what that meant he knew that within the next few hours he was getting ready to be tortured in the most brutal horrific way that a human being could be tortured it was awful you know this you've seen, i mean you've read about this you've seen some of this but jesus he knew he saw it in his mind what was getting ready to happen and he says God, my father, if there's any other way to pass by the hour of horror, he calls it the hour of horror. He said, if there's any other way to get through this, Lord, can we just do another way? But then he says some of the most courageous words ever. He says, but not my will be done. Your will be done. That's powerful right there. Because 
courage means that you have the ability to do something that scares you. And so you can't be courageous unless you face fear. And again, I've, I've said this too. I know some people are like, oh man, he's courageous. He ain't afraid of nothing. Then he's not courageous. If you're not afraid of it, then, then you're not courageous. That, uh, it takes courage to do something that you're afraid of. And Jesus, as I'll show you more, I'll, I'll prove this, but I'll show you more, that Jesus, fear tried to stop him from going to the cross. But he said, I don't care. I'm still going to do it anyway. Not my will, but your will. That is courage. That's pure courage right there that we can't even begin to fully comprehend. And it takes a lot of courage to do the right thing when you know that it's going to cost you something. I mean, have you ever been in that situation where you know what the right thing is to do, but there's going to be some pain with that right decision. Maybe it's going to hurt a little bit. It's going to cost you something to make the right choice. But it takes courage to do that. And some people, they may talk a big game, they may, they may be manly, they may be tough physically, or whatever the case is, but in the end, if they can't make the right choice, if they wimp out, like, that's gonna, no, I just, I can't do it, that's gonna cost too much, I, that's gonna hurt too much. I know the Bible says it this way, I know God's speaking this to my heart, but I just can't do that. That's a wimp. They don't have any courage at all. Even if they're a tough, tough dude, they don't have any courage at all if they back out from what God is telling them to do. If they back out from what Scripture says is right because it's going to hurt too much. Listen, Jesus knew it was going to hurt too much to go in there and let those guys rip him to shreds. And Isaiah prophesied. I love Isaiah. What a beautiful book. Isaiah prophesied, I mean, in detail, so many things. But he prophesied about the crucifixion of Jesus hundreds of years before it happened. And he said that this man will be beaten to such a pulp that he won't be recognizable as a human being. And so Jesus, he was beaten to such a nasty nasty bloody mess that if you looked at him you would be like that's a person right there that's how bad it was and he chose to do it he chose to do that he said i'll do that I'll, i'll go i'll go do it that is ultimate courage and i am really 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 thankful that jesus had this attitude that that he was like it's worth it because Jesus teaches us one of the great lessons of Christianity right here. You have to care more about the big picture than your immediate comfort. Sometimes, you know, as a pastor and as a Christian, there are things that we don't want to do right now because it's going to be pretty uncomfortable to have to go tell somebody the truth. It's going to be pretty uncomfortable to have to go do some of the things that you have to do in life. But when you see the big picture, you're like, okay, it's worth a little bit of pain right now if it means that person's going to come to the Lord. It's worth a little bit of pain right now if that means they're going to see the truth. And what did we see this morning in Hebrews? It says he endured the shame of the cross because he saw the joy that would lay ahead. He saw the big picture. Okay, I get beat up and massacred right now, and anyone that believes on me can get saved and go to heaven. Okay, I see the big picture. It's going to hurt. This is going to be bad, but I am going to go through with it for all of those people that will choose to believe on me. I love it. I love it that that's 
one of the big parts of Christianity. But Jesus overcame fear. It stared him in the face, and he stared right back, and he took it down. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4.15. Are we learning anything tonight? Amen. This seems to be a theme right now. Is anybody, uh, I mean, you, you realize that you need to be more courageous. Does anybody realize that? That you need, we need some tough Christians in 2018. We need people that, you know, they don't melt down and get upset just because somebody says something they don't like. So they, they give up on God. They give up on church and they, I mean, the day of that is over. We need, uh, we live in a, a very, uh, sensitive generation of people. Have you noticed that? People are sensitive these days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> People are sensitive. I mean, it's insane. Just the little things that, that you, you say, if, if, if you disagree with someone, that's grounds to just blow up the relationship and all. we're not going to be friends anymore. We didn't vote for the same person for president. I can't be your friend. I've had people leave this church because there's people here that didn't vote for the same person they voted for. So they left. Dead serious. Like, I mean, if your relationship and, 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 and your feelings are that sensitive that you can't bear to go to church with somebody that didn't vote the same way you did, that you melt down and leave your church, you are too sensitive. There's a problem with that. You're too sensitive. You're, you're a snowflake. You can't be like that. You've got to get tougher. You've got to get tougher than that. Because if, if that's all it takes to send you packing... And you think you're going to go to, you're going to do warfare with the devil when it comes down to it? Yeah, right. You're, yeah. When, when the fight comes, when the devil comes guns blazing and he brings some, you know, bad report to you and, 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 and you run every time that somebody hurts your little feeling and you're going to sit there and go toe to toe with the devil. Yeah, right. No, you're not. You're going to melt down and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to melt. And so I'm just trying to help us out here. You have got to get tougher. You've got to get some grit. You've got to get some fight in you. You've got to get some backbone where you don't just just close up shop and run away every time you get scared. You can't be like that. I thank God, you know, we talk about the military a lot. What, isn't it great that we have Marines and, 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 and soldiers and Rangers and, and, and the Navy SEALs and the, the great Air Force pilots? I'm so glad that they overcome fear and that they go in and, and even though they may be, you know, a, it's a scary situation, they still go in and they don't just get mad because someone's firing a gun at them. Like, oh my gosh, they're shooting real bullets out there. Oh, I didn't, no, no you didn't tell me that. I'm out of here. I quit. Treat me right. No, they don't do that. They go out there and they fight. And that's, I'm, I'm just telling you now. Okay, so here's your warning. It's a fight. The devil will come at you in 2018. Don't be caught off guard. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Man, jeez, he's mean. Don't, don't have, be prepared. Be on guard. It says, uh, your, your adversary, the devil, walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be vigilant. That means be awake, be ready. Look alive. I mean, smack yourself on the back of the head. Look alive out there. Wake up. You gotta be ready for the fight. Amen. You've got to be ready for the fight. And it takes courage. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, New King James says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus is our high priest, by the way. So we don't have a Lord. We don't have a Savior who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. But he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
So if you were tempted to quit, he was tempted to quit. If you were tempted, it's a, he says he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can relate to what you're going through. Jesus can relate to the fight, to the struggle, whatever you want to call it. Jesus can relate. It's just when it came to him, he just didn't quit. He didn't, he didn't get offended and he didn't run off and cry. Jesus stood up and fought the fight. And again, people are like, well, that was Jesus. Listen, he had a lot more issues to deal with than most of us. And I think about the times in uh, John chapter 8, verse 59. The Pharisees got mad at him because Jesus told them, he's like, he's talking about Abraham. And they're like, how do you know Abraham? You, you're only like 30 years old. You couldn't have been alive when Abraham was here. He's like, actually, to tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. I've been around longer than Abraham. They were like, what? They picked up rocks to stone him. We're going to kill you. And Jesus, he, he took, you know, he went through the crowd. Like, Bye. You know, and, and so Jesus, he dealt with issues. People tried to kill him all the time, but he didn't quit. He didn't, he didn't get mad at God. He didn't quit. He stuck with it. Jesus dealt with bigger problems than we could ever deal with. And, you know, people, people threatened to riot all the time. And I got to tell you this. If there's some people that know how to riot, it's the people in the Middle East. They know how to riot. <laughs> and they know how to do it for thousands of years. I mean, look on the news right now over in Iran. They're, they're, they're tearing up an entire nation. These people are professionals at rioting. And every time they get mad, they're like, oh, we'll just go, we'll go throw rocks at stuff and break it. I mean, they just, that's what they do. I'm not being mean, but people in the Middle East, when they get mad, they riot and they go tear stuff up. And they've been doing that for thousands of years. And if you look here, even way back then, man, even in Paul's day, look at Paul. They got mad at him. They take to the streets and they riot and they throw rocks and they, you know, they blow things up. That's just what they did. But Paul never quit. Jesus never quit. Think about the time that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food. It says the Spirit led him out there. Jesus literally went 40 days without eating anything. That's crazy. And of course, towards the end of that, the devil comes to him and starts bringing temptations. And so notice that it says Jesus was tempted in all the ways we are. He was troubled in all the ways we are. So Satan starts bringing these temptations like, okay, it's been 40 days now. Bet you're hungry right now. Since you're Jesus, you can do anything. Why don't you turn that stone right there? Why don't you just turn it into a loaf of bread? You can do anything you want to do, Jesus. What if Jesus had listened to the devil right there? What if he would have said, you know what, I am hungry. I'm just, and it's not a sin to, you know, for Jesus to make bread if he wants to. He has the right to do that. But it would have been terrible if Jesus had done it upon the devil's command. If he had listened to the devil and done it because the devil said to. Oh my gosh. But Jesus comes back with the word of God. He says, I'm not going to do it. No. Nope. It's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus responds to temptation. Jesus responds to trouble with Scripture. And it happens three times. The devil comes back and says, Hey, listen, you're Jesus. You're the Savior. Why don't you jump off of this cliff right here? And, and it's written he'll order his angels to protect you everywhere you go. Won't even hurt your, dash your foot against the stone. If you really are the Son of God, jump off this cliff and see what happens. And Jesus says, No. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He answers with scripture again. And then a third and final time, he leads Jesus 
to the top of the mountain and they look down over the city and he says, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that city. All this belongs to me. And, and it's true that right now Satan, says, is the God of this world. So this wouldn't have been a temptation for Jesus if Satan didn't have any authority in this world. And so he says, I'll give you all of this, Jesus. I'll turn it all over. To, I'll sign everything over to you right now if you'll bow down and worship me. And he says, no. Absolutely not. I will serve and I will worship only the Lord my God. And he always answers with scripture. And so if if, if the devil is dumb enough and crazy enough to try and mess with Jesus and tempt him and trouble him, and you don't think he's going to try to come after you? You don't think there's going to be a battle in your life? You're sorely mistaken. There's going to be a battle. And the thing is, is that I am not afraid of the battle. I say that with boldness. You know, I mean, you heard of my dad get diagnosed with it. And I said this the other night. And I, told, I have never been less scared in my life than I am right now. I'm not afraid. Not, I'm not, not even 1% afraid that my dad's going to die. I'm not afraid. Because I know the word of God works. Amen? The word of God works. And, and I mean, I, I've based my entire life on this thing. I, everything that I put, everything I have into the word of God, I put all my eggs in one basket, so to speak. Everything I have is staked on this book being true. If this wasn't true, then I'm in a big bunch of trouble, guys. I'm going down. But guess what? It's true. And I believe every word written in here. You know, I have a friend that's an atheist, and she likes to say stupid things. I need to get her attention and stuff. And that's fine. It's, you know, whatever. But she she came out a, a while back and, and wanted to present something uh, about <laughs> something that, that she read about what the Bible really means about one of the scriptures, one of the passages. And in the original Greek, it means that, and trying to explain to me, and I'm like, listen. First of all, you don't even believe that book's true, and I have staked my entire life on this book. I study this thing every day of the year for hours, every day of the year. And you're going to try to tell me what that book believes, and you don't even think it's true? I love you, but get out of here, man. You, you, you Don't try to tell me about the Bible when you, don't even, when, you, when you make fun of it half the time, and now you're going to try to twist a scripture to believe, you know, to, to justify your actions. No, don't do that to me. Everything that I had, this is my entire life wrapped up into one thing right here is the word of God. This is it. Everything. This is my most valuable possession is this Bible and this particular one right here. I mean, I love the word of God because it's true and it works. Let me show you a little bit more about Jesus in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Let's see what Luke had to say. And what I'm trying to show you is this is that Jesus was courageous because he faced fear. If there was no fear, if there was no intimidation in the cross, then it wouldn't have been courageous to go to it. It would have been painful and whatnot. But but Jesus was courageous because he faced fear and he overcame it. Luke 22, let's pick it up at verse 42. And I'm actually going to read this out of the Living Bible. The Living Bible is not the same as the New Living Translation. It was a Bible paraphrase done in the 70s, I think, but it's, it's good. Luke, Luke chapter 22, verse 20, 42 in the Living Bible, it says, He walked away, perhaps a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed this prayer. Father, if you are willing, please take away this cup of horror from me. 
but I want your will, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, for he was in such agony of spirit that he broke into a sweat of blood with great drops falling to the ground as he prayed more and more earnestly. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but you have to realize that Jesus was in such a place right here, in such an agony of spirit, and his body was so stressed that he began sweating blood out of his pores. And uh, and again, we've said this so many times, but I've looked it up. It's actually physically possible for a human being to reach such a level of stress and anxiety that their body begins to sweat blood. And I mean, it's it's really rare, but human beings can reach such a level of stress. And can you imagine, it says Jesus is there praying and praying and praying. And can you just see blood just start coming out of his skin and pouring onto the ground? And he's there in a pool of his own blood and no one's even touched him yet. But it's just the sweat that's coming out of him. I've never had fear like that. I've never faced stress or anxiety to that extreme ever. And here he is in a pool of his own blood that's been sweat out of his body. And he says, not my way. We got to do this your way. I'm going to go through with this. I'm going to do this. That's courage. That is courage. And so when I read stuff like this, I'm like, Jesus, I have got to give you my best. I can't, I couldn't live with myself if I, and I'm not making fun and judging, so, but I, I couldn't go to church once a month and live with myself. I couldn't read my Bible once a week. I couldn't only talk to God when I need something or when I need to pray for my food or I really need him to bail me out. I couldn't look myself in the mirror if I, if I was like that. I'm not judging anybody, not making fun of you if that's you, but I, knowing that Jesus went through this anxiety and stress, and then what he went through on the cross where he was beaten so he couldn't even tell he was a human being. And to put it on the personal level, he did it for David's samples. And for me, to only talk to him when I need something from him. For me to only get up and go to his house to worship when it's convenient. For me to only read the letter that he wrote to me. This is his letter to you. He wrote you a letter. To only read this letter whenever I don't have anything else to do or there's nothing better on TV. I think that's a slap in the face. And I couldn't look myself in the mirror if I was just going to give him my, you know, I'll give you what I've got left, Jesus. But uh, I know you gave everything for me. I know you were beaten and I know that you were tortured, but I don't really have the time right now. I've got to make some money. I've got to play some games. I've got to watch some TV. I've got to get the football game on. I've got to go be with my girlfriend. got to go, whatever the case is. I couldn't look myself in the mirror. I, I, I really couldn't. That, uh, that's just where I'm at. I'm not, again, you, you do you. I'm not telling you how to live your life. But I'm saying I really believe I could do better for Jesus in 2018. And I, I would, so 17 was a great year for me, one of the best years of my life. But 18, uh, I've I got to do better. I've Somehow I've got to give him more than what I gave him in 2017 because I feel it wasn't enough. I feel like he deserves more out of me. Now, maybe, you know, you could say, well, I'm totally satisfied. I think there's no, no more that I could do for him. Then that's, hey, that's between you and him. But for me, I've got to give him more. I've got to give him more in 2018 than what I did for the past 32 years. It's got to get better. And I want to get to the place where, I mean, it's just all about him. And so he made it all about you. We can't just give him what's left over. We can't give him the leftovers. We've got to give him our absolute best. And if that means denying ourselves 
He said, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? You've got to get nailed to a cross? No, but that means you're going to have to deny yourself some things just like he did. He went without some things. You know, obviously, he went without physical comfort in this situation. And so for some of us, we're like, uh, I just, I want to serve him. I want the blessings, no doubt about it. I want the health. Oh, I want the peace. Oh, I need that money. I, I, need, I need the blessings. But I can't give this up. This is, I mean, this is, what, this is my thing. It's what I struggle with. Everybody knows this is my thing. Listen, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. And I can promise you this. When you get to heaven, you're not going to regret that you quit doing that. You're not going to regret that you walked away from that relationship. You're not going to regret that you walked away from that life. You're not going to regret that you chose to not do that anymore. Uh, I mean, the more that I'm with Jesus, I find that uh, I, I don't ever regret it. There's never a time ever. There's never one time that I get done reading my Bible and say, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Ah, if only I hadn't gone to church today, I could have, I could have seen all four quarters of the game. If only I had skipped prayer meeting, if only I hadn't gone and visited them, if only I hadn't done this, I mean, then I would have had more time. I, I just, I really regret the amount of time I'm spending with God right now. I've got to get more me time. There's never a time that I've been like that. But there's been plenty of times where I say, man, I wish I would have made more time for God today. Man, I wish I could have just read a little bit longer, prayed a little bit more. I wish I could have had a little bit more time. There's plenty of days like that. And so I am encouraging you. Step up to the plate. Jesus had the ultimate courage for you, and it's time for us to give him our best. Who agrees with that? You think we could do better for Jesus this year? We won't regret it. We won't regret it. Let's go on to the the second thing. This is point number two for this sermon, but it's the tenth point for this series, and it's this. is that one of the best things about Jesus is that he kept his word. He keeps his word. But Jesus is a man of his word. I like people that are a man of their word, a woman of their word, where they say, yeah, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. You just go on. I like when they say that and then they actually do it. I don't like when people say, hey, I'll do this for you. And then they don't do it. I don't like that. But Jesus, when his word says something, as long as you do your part, hey, count on him to do his if, there's, if someone ever falls through the cracks in my life, it's not because he didn't do his part. It's always been because I screwed it up somewhere. But anytime something has gone wrong, it's never because Jesus was not a man of his word. He is a person that keeps his word. So Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, I want to show you something here. Because Jesus told his followers, he, he told them, hey, listen, I'm going to be crucified. I am going to die. But three days later come again and he even told them you could tear down this temple and it'll be rebuilt in three days and they're like what it took years to build the temple you're crazy well he wasn't talking about solomon's temple he was talking about his body he said you tear it down man it's coming back in three days and so he he several times tried to get the point across but people just weren't getting it so mark chapter 16 this is after the crucifixion and this is I mean, if there was a best part of the Bible, it's all good and all equally awesome. But this is the best news ever, is that Jesus kept his word. Is that Jesus kept his word. What if Jesus had only died and left the job halfway done like some of us do? Where would we be right now? I don't know. We wouldn't be going to heaven. 
We'd be bad. That'd be a bad spot if Jesus only did the job halfway. But thank God he kept his word and he came back to life like he said he would. So Mark chapter 16, verse 2, it says, Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way there, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Yeah, somebody beat him there. That's good. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. It would be so bad if they said, if the angel said, and he's right over there on that part of the tomb. But he didn't say that. He said, he isn't here. Hallelujah. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. He told them this. Hey, I'm going to come back and meet me over there in Galilee. Just as he told you before he died, Jesus kept his word. It takes a person of true character, a person of true grit to keep their word, even if they keep their word after they died. You know what I mean? And they come, he kept his word and he came back and it's like, he, he, just like he told you he was going to do, go catch up with him in Galilee. He's over there waiting on you. Just as he said before he died. And I'm saying this tonight, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't only die for your sins? That Jesus rose again three days later. That's the best news of all time. Amen. If we could say, well, let's go over there and this is where our Lord is buried. He, his body, his bones are in there. This is where that man we read about Jesus. This is where he is buried. That would be sad. That'd be awful. But you can't go and say this is where Jesus is buried. Because he's not buried. His bones aren't laying in a tomb. He came back to life. And he is seated at the right hand of God right now, interceding for us. Amen? And so, Jesus kept his word. And I want to briefly look at an Old Testament example, if we can, of somebody that made a very big, bold threat in the Old Testament. Laid their life on the line. But they came through with their word and they actually did it. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this is the story of David and Goliath. But I want to show you something here. And, and I like, I mean, I, I love this story. We, I look at it quite a bit, even just on my own time reading it. Because David had some guts. David had some courage, and he had a little bit of crazy in there too. He did, he was a little bit crazy, but it was in a good way. David was incredible. But David made some promises to Goliath that he, he kept his word. He said, I, I'm gonna do this to you, and he actually did it. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're gonna pick up at verse 41. But we're talking about Ultimate courage and keeping your word, just like Jesus did. And and I really believe, I mean, we, we get these character traits of Jesus in our life. You're going to be a force to be reckoned with, man. If you can, if you can live 
like Jesus did, if you can study his life and say, man, I want to be like this. I know some kids that, you know, they study professional athletes. Okay, he, he, this guy got up and, and he worked out every morning and he ran five miles and, oh, I want to be just like that. Well, I, I mean, I look at the life of Jesus and it says oh, he went away to the wilderness to pray often. Like, okay, I want to do that. I want to go away and pray often. And, and it says, and he went over here and said this, like, okay, I want to be just like that. And so just like a little kid studies, you know, uh, an athlete or someone that they want to be just like, we should study the life of Jesus and say, man, I want to be like that. Oh, I'll bet if I did this, I could do that. And that's how we should be treating Jesus. We should be studying his life and saying, I want to be like that. Because Christian, it, it means Christ-like one. You should want to be more like Jesus. But look at this. This is a story of David way before he was king. And so as you know, the Philistines, who were the arch rivals of, of the Israelites back then, they went, went, went at it all the time. Uh, they're out there with their man, Goliath, and he's trash-talking, saying, hey, you know, you guys are sissies. Send out someone that I can really fight, and, and blah, blah, blah. This went on for 40 days and 40 nights. And so finally, David shows up, and he says, hey, I'll go fight him. And his brothers are soldiers in the army. They're like, you're crazy. You're a teenage kid. You can't fight him. We're all afraid of him, and we're trained soldiers. And so anyway, David finally convinces King Saul to let him go out there and try to fight the big bad giant. And everybody's like, this is going to be a massacre. I don't even want to watch right now. This is going to be bad. But David goes out there, and nobody believed he could do it except for him. Everybody there, everybody there on both sides was totally expecting David to be killed badly. But look at this. First Samuel 17, verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. That you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. And so David's out there with his, his staff, his, you know, his stick and his rocks and his sling. And he's coming out there at Goliath. And, and Goliath starts talking all this trash. And he starts cursing him in the names of his gods. These Philistines, they worshipped a whole bunch of gods. They, I mean, they had all these things that they burned incense to and worshipped and prayed to. And, and he starts calling out the names of his gods, cursing David in the name of his gods. Verse 44, come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin? But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to kill you and cut your head off. And then I'm going to give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. And so David, he fought fire with fire. This guy starts bringing out the names of his gods. And David calls upon the name of his Lord. He says, I am going to absolutely murder you, man. And then I'm going to cut your head off. And then I'm going to kill all your friends. And I'm going to feed their bodies to the birds. Because you have defied the name of God, the Lord of Israel. I'm going to kill you for it. And, you know, we read these and we're like, well, that's kind of gruesome. You have to realize, man, that these were bad people and they needed dealt with. And you read a lot of these Old Testament stories, and you're like, man, that's gruesome. These were some wicked people back then, man. They were evil and foul, and they weren't going to change their ways. They needed to be wiped out. And so David goes out there, and 
Goliath is roaring in his face and he says, I am going to kill you and cut your head off. That's a pretty bold statement to make. But David was a man of his word. And he said he's going to kill you. Well, he's coming at you. He's going to kill you. Amen. And so and then verse 47 and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. The battle is the Lord's and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. That's one of my favorite parts. David didn't tiptoe out there. David didn't, you know, do an army crawl on his stomach and, like, roll between rocks. And, you know, David, he couldn't wait for this. He's like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. I'm going to kill a giant today. David runs out there to meet Goliath. And this is the fight he's been waiting for his whole life. Everybody else saw this is going to be a nightmare. This is, they saw the biggest trouble ever that they've ever seen but david saw the biggest possibility david saw opportunity where everybody else saw trouble that's what people of courage do when everybody else is like oh that's too that that uh, that, this this could end really really bad people of courage they're like yeah but it could end really really good imagine if i kill this guy imagine how how cool that's going to be that's the type of attitude that we need to have And so David runs out there, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. But that's only half the job. David said, I'm going to kill you, but then I'm going to cut your head off. David was a man of his word. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone because he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from the sheath. He used it to kill him and cut off his head. Amen. And whenever, you know, I face the giant, I don't want to just knock him down. I want to cut his head off. I want a total victory in my life. And David did that. There's no way Goliath was coming back again. He's gone. He's history. There's no way. And that's because David kept his word. Everybody else there saw a little bitty David and a great big giant. David saw a little bitty giant, but a great big God. And that's what you have to see in your life. Everyone else sees, you. this guy's got big problems. No, I don't. I've got a great big God. That's your attitude. What is your perspective? What's your perspective? As Christians, we need to have the right perspective. I heard about an experiment that was done. They took two kids, two little boys. One was a very pessimistic child, always negative, always saw the bad in every circumstance. You know anybody like that? I mean, it can be the best. You could have, they could have won the lottery or something, and they find out how to put a negative spin on it. Like they're just there's some people that they can turn any situation. They can always find the bad somewhere. But then there's this other little boy who was an optimist. This kid was always cheerful and always found the good in every situation. So they put the negative child into a room full of toys, video games, candy, ice cream, donuts, like everything a little kid could ever want. They put this kid in this room and locked him in there. Then they put the very happy, optimistic, positive child in a room full of of horse manure, horse poop, a room filled with horse poop halfway up. And so they come back an hour later and they check in on Mr. Negativity. They open the room and he's sitting there and he's in a panic. He hasn't touched any of the toys. He's like, I don't even know where to begin right now. There are too many toys. 
too much ice cream. Too, I can't. I don't even know where to begin. I, this, I, this is this is stressing me out. There's there's too many there's too many things in here. This is too good to be true. I can't believe this. I can't handle this. I, this, I, 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 this is too stressful. I can't take it. And he found a way to put this amazing situation into a very negative light. And so then they're like, okay, I wonder what horse poop boy's doing. So they go over there, look in the window, and they and this kid's in there, woohoo, yeah, woo! And they're like, what's going on? What's your problem? You're in a room full of horse poop. He's like, yeah, but if there's all this poop, that means somewhere in this room is a pony, and I'm gonna find him, woo! Like, and so if you, it all depends on your situation. What's your outlook? Some people, they could be given a great opportunity and they somehow find a way to make it look bad. But a true born again child of God, you can put them in a bunch of horse poop and they're like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. Woo! And they find, a, they find something to be excited about because if there's all that, that means there's got to be something good in there. And so you have to check your outlook in life. If you're going to be a person of true grit, a person that's tough for Jesus, you're going to have to be able to look at any situation and be like, oh, man, wow, (laughs) this is the worst thing I've ever faced. All right. This is going to be the biggest testimony I've ever had then. This is great news. This is awesome. That's the outlook that a Christian has to have. And if you are always looking for the bad, if you're always looking for the negative, you're going to find it. But listen to me. Jesus kept his word. And so what I'm coming down to is this, and this whole thing. If Jesus kept his word about dying and raising again, he made me another promise. He said, I'm coming back someday, and I'm going to pull you up out of that earth. I'm coming back someday, and I'm going to take you to heaven with me. And I believe if he's kept all of his other promises to me, I don't know why he'd be lying about this one. It's going to happen. And so let's look here. I'm going to show you one last place. Mark chapter 13. Let's end it here with with Mark. He's been good to us for six lessons here. Mark chapter 13. And so Jesus kept his word. And we see a lot of things going on in this world right now where, I mean, there's negative things. But in this negativity, in some of the bad things I see, I also see Bible prophecy being fulfilled. So I'm like, wow, all right, yeah, yes, praise God. I mean, that's, that, that is bad, but you said it was going to happen, and you said right before you come back, this is going to happen. And so I'm getting excited right now, man. There are things going on right now that Jesus said was going to happen Right before he came back. Mark chapter 13. Look here at verses 26 and 27. He said, Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world. From the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. That's good news. I'm looking forward to that day, man. Where Jesus is going to come down out of the sky and, 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 and get us. And he says he's going to call his chosen ones. Guess what? I'm one of those. I'm one of the chosen ones. And you are too if you receive him. But I'm one of the chosen ones. And man, I can't wait for that day. I want to get out of here. I want to go to heaven. I want, man, I want to be in heaven ASAP. I want to get up there. It's incredible. And Jesus said, man, oh, I'm coming back. And I'm telling you right now, what's your outlook? 
Do you see the things going on in this world? And they, oh, man, it's bad, but it's getting worse. It's, uh, it's just stupid, man. I hate this. Or do you see some of the things going on, and you're like, wow. Are you smart enough to, and, and wise enough to say, hey, he said that was going to happen. A lot of the things we see happening, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing Bible prophecy on the news every day. And, and I, some people are getting mad about it. I'm like, you're crazy, man. It said this is going to happen. And, what, and we're going to end. But do you realize the significance that the United States just did by recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital? Whoa. I don't care how you feel about the current president. I mean, he says some pretty mean things sometimes. But for him to make Jerusalem as Israel's capital and then some other nations are following suit, you don't understand how big that is. Because Jesus is going to come back right there. And it says the temple is going to be there. And that hasn't really been that realistic up until now. But I just saw on the secular news last week, Israel is getting bids from contractors for rebuilding the temple. I saw that on the secular news. This wasn't Christians trying to make up something. This was the secular Yahoo News, and, and, and they had this article. They weren't trying to be – they're definitely not Christian at all, but they're getting contractors to put in bids on rebuilding the temple. I was like, whoa, that is – the biggest thing that's ever happened in my life right there. And so I'm telling you, he said, I'm coming back. If there was ever a time that I was going to backslide and run away and not live for God, it's too risky now, man. You're in too deep. I wouldn't do it right now. Things are happening. My last two verses right here, just skip down to verses 36 and 37. Jesus says, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. And so that's what he's telling us. That's what I'm in with right there. Don't let him find you sleeping when he returns. Jesus said, watch for him. And so if we are going to be men and women of God, people that have some guts and some backbone, you have some fight and you'll actually stand up for something, you're going to have to be people that have courage. And even though you're afraid to do it, you'll do the right thing, even though it's a little bit scary. And you'll keep your word just like Jesus did. And you will respect him. You will live for him. And you will make him number one. He doesn't get sloppy seconds anymore. He gets first dig at you every day. He gets number one than anybody else. They get the rest, whatever's left after that. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.